This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye, bye, bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio at the close today on the FTSE 100, positive by six-tenths of one percent. A better move, a better tone across the continent with the DAX up by just 0.06 percent. In the United States, a rally picks up after a rout over the last three days on the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ up eight-tenths of one percent. And in the FX market, as we count you down to a series of central bank decisions, sterling just a touch weaker with cable just a little bit lower to 131. 25. Let's have the market moves, then much more on that in just a moment. Here's Charlie Pellet with your top stories. Hi, thank you very much, Jonathan Farrow. Two people familiar with the efforts say the United States and China are trying to restart talks aimed at averting a full-blown trade war between the world's two largest economies. The people say representatives of the American Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and the Chinese Vice Premier are having private conversations as they look for ways to re-engage in negotiations. BP reporting a small and unusual loss from oil trading after being caught on the wrong side of Permian Basin uh, Permian Basin pipeline bottlenecks that prompted wild gyrations in U.S. crude prices this year. BP shares did close higher in London, up by 1.4%. The United Kingdom was the only group of seven countries to see growth slow in 2017. This according to the Office for National Statistics. As most major economies enjoyed a market pickup in the best year for global growth since 2011, Britain moderated to 1.7% from 1.8% in 2016 as the decision to leave the European Union curtailed activity. And it was a story that garnered international attention. The Carnival cruise ship, the Triumph, that lost power in the Caribbean after a fire back in 2013. 3,100 passengers, you recall, were left adrift without electricity and perhaps, most importantly, spending almost a week without working toilets. Now, that ship is being dry docked. It's going to be given a makeover from the front to the back, also getting a new name, the Carnival Sunrise. Latest from the news desk, John Jonathan Farrell, back to you. If I offered you 50% off a cruise on that ship, would you do it? To go on that brand new cruise ship, 100% yes, enthusiastically. Would Uh, you? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, though? I think they refunded everybody's money for that cruise. I think they gave them, uh, you know... Stuff happens, Jonathan. You go to a restaurant, sometimes there are power outages, sometimes don't think, you know, things don't work out the way you think. Stuff happens. Deal with it, accept it. It was a nightmare, but I believe that Carnival compensated people very handsomely. I can't work for the out ordeal. whether you're like the dream guest because you're very tolerant, but at I the same 100%. time, you're always looking for compensation. Yeah, well, no, you know what? That's part of it. Uh, but, you know, something goes okay. wrong. But, but you know what? You don't set yourself up for compensation, but you know what? Here's the summary I just want to be treated fairly. Just fairly and reasonably. And and that's it. That's all I ask for. Do you think you treat them fairly? I go above <laughs> and beyond in that in that I give people far beyond the benefit of a chance. Charlie Pellet, it's great Talk to, to catch soon. up with you. Yep. Charlie's back in 27 minutes' time. Joining me now to discuss global markets, Ken Vexler, Director at Acumen Management, and Paul Dobson, Bloomberg European Markets Managing Editor. Guys, I want to start with the trade story, work our way through the Bank of Japan and set up the Bank of England a little bit later in the program. Ken, just to begin with the China story, uh, we're reporting there are talks 
for talks. Um, <laughs> I don't see a huge reaction in the market, but on the margin, is this sort of positive for risk? Yeah, look, I mean, we saw a slight pop on those headlines coming through on Bloomberg, understandably, but having said that, the counter side of that is that, what was it, two weeks ago thereabouts, we also got an, an inkling of a clue that maybe come September, uh, the overall size of the tariffs imposed will, will net about $500 billion as well. So, take it with a grain of salt and, and carry on. Also, the fact that it's summer, and until we have tangible proof of one thing or another, there's not much to get excited about. Right yeah, now. it's very hard to get excited about this, Paul. The reporting from our good colleagues in Washington, D.C., according to two people familiar with the effort, the U.S. and China trying to restart talks aimed at averting a full-blown trade war between the uh, the world's two largest economies. And, Paul, the reaction in the market really rather muted. I saw a little bit of yuan strength, and it sort of made me wonder whether it's China that really is operating from a position of relative weakness now compared to where they were at the start of the year. Well, I mean, you can say it that way. I think that certainly uh, China's been under pressure. You look at the relative performance of the stock markets and the Shanghai Composite has uh, underperformed the S&P by some way. Um, And, you know, the the flip side, though, is that China has other tools at its disposal, not least the currency, um, as a way of fighting back or at least compensating for the losses caused by, by tariffs. And, you know, if you look at the UN's performance, not just against the dollar, but against the the basket that uh, the authorities use to sort of um, pitch its strength. Yeah. It's definitely been been weakening, you know, quite dramatically over over the past uh, few weeks. And like you said, immediately after we got those headlines, there was a reversal there. It gives you the idea that, you know, that currency is trading off these trade headlines all the time at the moment. To what extent, Ken, do you think that the Chinese authorities have already sent a signal with the currency? Oh, I, th- I think well and truly. I mean, I, I yeah. think that signal was sent when uh, dollar one got through about 665. And at that point, truth be told, I don't think anyone in the market really had the trade on. It was only sort of subsequent to that that we saw uh, people pile in. And that's, I think, largely why we're, we've managed to get as far as we've got a 685 print. And why the market reverses five big figures on a headline that ultimately means nothing. It means that positioning is now driving uh, that that price more than anything else, and uh, people are a bit skittish around these levels. I want your thoughts so on the BOJ, I'm, Ken, before we have to go, because we've only got a couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, but what did they do last night? For all the excitement, what did we actually learn from the Bank of Japan? Yeah, I, I, I think the BOJ play, played that hand perfectly. I mean, they sent a signal of intent... And anyone that believed that they were going to do an outright real sort of mix to to their program and, and to their overall policy was misguided. So as a consequence, we saw, we saw a short squeeze in the dollar-yen. But overall, I think it sets the picture for the next, well, certainly two quarters worth of further action. And it'll, it'll take longer than that, but the intent is there. And if nothing else, that was what last night was about. It was a signal of intent. A signal of intent to do not a whole lot, Paul, for a while. I mean, in terms of rates, uh, forward guidance introduced, as if anyone thought rates were going to rise at the Bank of Japan anytime soon. Um, the forward guidance suggesting that they will be staying at low levels for an extended period of time. And then just the JGB market. Paul Dobson, Kit Jukes, a sock gen, was dead on for me on Bloomberg TV when he said, this isn't even really a market anymore. My words, his suggestion. Paul it's not really a market anymore, is it? When you have a price-insensitive buyer buying up so much of the stock of available JGBs and now basically saying, guess what, we'll tolerate a deviation from 0% 
all the way up to 0.2 and maybe down to negative 0.2. I mean, you're basically anchoring 10-year government bond yields at 0%, Paul. Is that what they're doing? Well, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what they have been doing for for some time. I guess there is a bit more flexibility. If you look at the 30 years now, the possibility that those yields could um, could rise more significantly if the 10 years push to the top end of the range, um, which in turn, though, you know, would only encourage the big Jap- Japanese pension funds to bring a little bit more of their money back home that's currently invested overseas. And so that also provides its own kind of natural feedback loop that, again, serves to reinforce the, the cap on yields. It's interesting, though, Jonathan, you you know, you make the point, you said that uh, nobody expected the BOJ to raise interest rates anytime soon. That's true. But I think you'll find that quite a lot of the market, at least earlier this year, and perhaps even into this meeting, why there was so much excitement is because there's a general feeling that at some point the BOJ DOJ is going to have had enough of doing this, you know. Yeah. So I, a, a lot point. of the, a lot of London is long yen. So just watch out for that. That's a really good point, Paul, and I appreciate yeah. that insight. Ken Vexter and Paul Dobson sticking with me. Next up on the program, the Bank of Japan down. The Fed still to come. We're going to be talking about that Bank of England rate decision. If uh, not many people are expecting a rate hike at the Bank of Japan, you cannot say the same thing about this BOE decision coming up on Thursday. The preview with the guys is coming up next from New York for London. This is the Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. In the equity market at the close today, the FTSE 100 positive six-tenths of 1%. BP in the mix helping taking us higher with some uh, better-than-expected earnings. BP at the close up by 1.38%, adding almost six points to the FTSE today. The miners doing quite well as well. I imagine sentiment getting a decent lift from the... Uh, trade story, just the tension relaxing just a little bit as uh, they appear reportedly to be having talks, to have talks, if that helps you. I don't know if it does at all. And the Bank of Japan decision down, Fed decision coming up tomorrow, Bank of England decision coming up on Thursday and Paul Dobson, it looks like Carney might follow through on that rate hike. Finally, the unreliable boyfriend delivers. Um, Yeah, I mean, the market is pretty much convinced that we're going to get a rate hike um, this week. And so I think, you know, one of the things that'll be in interesting and important for the market is whether there's going to be follow through, you know, whether this is a, a, a to and through uh, after the earlier hike that we had, or whether this is going to set us up for a series of hikes. There was an interesting story I was reading today by some of our rates uh, team writing about Aberdeen Asset Management betting there'll be a second BOE hike before the end of the year, which is kind of punchy and could have an yeah. impact on, on sterling and on the front end of the yield curve. I just want to understand where the justification for a series of hikes this year would come from, Ken. Where in the economy would drive that? Uh, imported inflation. So ultimately, if sterling stays low for a you know, prolonged period of time, they've got the excuse at the very least to talk up the chances of another hike. Uh, and if, for whatever reason, although I doubt it, the US dollar does really catch another bid in the, second, uh, in the back end of this year, then yeah, cable's going to be lower and they've got no other choice but to hike. Otherwise, there's nothing locally, certainly fundamentally, to, to justify you know, more hikes. They've got the excuse. Do they have the support from the output of the general economy, the broader economy, Ken? They said Q1 was a soft patch. Are we seeing evidence of that in Q2, that it was a one-off? Look, I think data overall has probably levelled off a little bit from what we saw in Q1. Um, 
you know, if we're talking, if, if we're if we're needing to justify central bank policy, on, you know, using excuses, we've lost the game already. Yeah. Ultimately, if the decision is firmly there, they're going to have to go. Um, you know, they can spin the story any way they choose post fact, but this is where we are. Quick one on Sterling crosses on how you would position going into tomorrow, Ken, um, on Sterling. Uh, honestly, going into Thursday, I'd probably just buy a. Uh, buy a straddle and uh, try and sell the wings out of it. Because ultimately, I don't think cable's going to move significantly. Uh, a high yeah. is priced in at current levels. So, you know, if, if, if the vol's cheap enough, do it that way. Cam, um, Paul, you're sitting in the capital of uh, foreign exchange, and you mentioned earlier that the city of London was um, long the Japanese yen. Where's London on sterling at the moment? Oh, I'd say pretty neutral, which is why it makes yeah. sense to do those uh, those strategies, the strangles. Not betting is going to go far right? either way. I mean, if you look at the um, the the positioning figures that we get each week, it shows shows you that people are short sterling. I'd say you know there's some scope for sterling to put in a, a little bit of a rally over the summer months. You know, depending on how hawkish the BOE is you know we're not so worried about brexit headlines for a while because there's a little bit of a break um there's the possibility that things could go better and you know people love the summer weather is it the summer weather are we going to be talking about the summer weather supporting the economy paul yeah, well, you know, why not? I was ripping my uh, e- economy colleagues the other on yeah. the other side of that, though, Jonathan. I was saying, first of all, the BOE's done me out of the all my savings by by um, you know inflation. Yeah, and now and now they're going to push up the cost of my debts as well. So I'm shafted either way. Thank you, them. thank you very much to the Bank of England and Governor Carney, who might follow through on Thursday according to the majority of economists that we survey. Um, guys, it's great to catch up with you. Paul Dobson, our Bloomberg European Markets Managing Editor. A special thanks, of course, to Ken Vexler, giving us an injection of reality. A bit of a reality check from Ken on the FX market and beyond. Director and Acumen Management out of London. That's the scene as we set you up for the Bank of England in a couple of days' time. That comes to you Thursday. Federal Reserve decision tomorrow. BOJ, of course, came out overnight. Next up on the programme, we had a conversation with Tijan Tiam of Credit Suisse. I'll bring you some of the highlights of that interview. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. Hello to you all listening on the drive home. Drive safely. Credit Suisse earnings out a little bit earlier, giving investors reason to stick with it through its restructuring. Shares are rising following a second quarter profit beat. Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix spoke with the CEO, Tijan Tiam, discussing today's earnings report. Talk to me a little bit about net new assets. They're increasing. How, yes. how much more can you expect? Well, this was a very good quarter for Credit Suisse. You saw 1.3 billion of profit. Uh, you saw positive net new assets, which is very important for us, at 23.5 billion. If you add the asset management, which is another 17 billion, we actually had 40 billion in the health for self. That's the size of a medium-sized bank that we've added to the bank every six months. Uh, look, very much focused on ultra-high net worth. More than 60% of our flows come from our ultra-high net worth, and that's the, the heart of the strategy, really to bring institutional-like advice and services to ultra-high net worth clients. So IBCM and global market work very closely, and in, increasingly so with wealth management, to provide services to our clients. And within that, you know, we've created this platform, ITS, which mm-hmm. is a joint venture between the wealth management and the investment bank. Well, it's up 17%. 
So 11% in the first quarter, 25% in the second. So accelerating. That's a really bright spot for us. In, in If there is a strong market downturn, what mm. happens to net new assets? Uh, it's a, I mean, you can have outflows. But what happens more importantly is our revenue shifts between lines. Okay? So you're going to see us make much more money from uh, uh, derivatives, structured products, uh, which is what you, you see today. It's a little bit in global market. You see that APAC markets had an amazing recovery. A lot of that is structured products. Um, we had a 90 million profit when we had a loss last year. So it's a big swing. Um, so, yeah, it's the nature of what we do. Uh, we may lend a little less, so a little less net interest income. Okay, but more recurring fee, recurring income, and also transaction income. How much do you worry about the market? So you have trade tensions, you have a possible government shutdown, you have you know equity valuations that yeah. are pretty stretched. Look, the beauty of a strategy we, we've adopted, and that's one of the bright spots again in the numbers today. Uh, when we started three years ago, um, market trading were 59% of our profits. In these results, it's 19%. So moving from A to B was absolutely key because today... Uh, we look at markets and trading as an upside. Right. Okay, the core of our performance is driven by the wealth management, which is actually much more stable and much more predictable and growing very nicely. And we can then absorb the volatility of global markets. What actually I tell our markets team when I go to New York elsewhere is that it's good to be at Credit Suisse because here they can grow. When I say ITS has grown 17%, you know, That's good for trading activity to be able to grow 17%. And they, they can grow this much because they support uh, the wealth management. An another important point in the results is really the SRU. Mm -hmm. uh, you know it was our restructuring unit. Um, we have hit now our end of 18 targets. We said we'd close it down when we had 11 billion of RWA and 40 billion of leverage. We are now at 10 of RWA and 39 of leverage. So for me, that's almost the most pleasing thing in these results. We're done with the restructuring. A lot of, there's a lot of skepticism whether we could get to that point at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. We're early, and we have hit the point where actually the SRU now is so small that it's going to stop weighing on our results. And financially, that's very important. This 1.3 billion has a lot of upside. This is what really we want people to understand. Uh, it contains uh, more than 300 million of losses in the SRU. And those losses in 19 uh, will be gone. So if we continue to grow net new assets, which drives our revenue, revenue is up 7%. Very few banks grow revenue. Revenue is up 7%, cost is down 5%. So that positive operating leverage, it's the seventh quarter in a row that we have positive draws. And this is a trend, goes. right? It's a trend. But doing that quarter after quarter is very powerful. We've now added more than 4 billion of profit cumulatively by every quarter, raising revenue, reducing costs. So you've got the growth in wealth management, the operating leverage, the shrinkage of the SRU. Yeah. All that is going to add to our profits. Also, uh, keep in mind that the SRU cost us in, in a lot in funding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Once it's shrunk, you know, all that funding yeah. you know, is not necessary anymore. So there, there's a lot of upside here. What about global markets? Where do you see those? At global the markets, <laughs> really, thank you for asking me about it, because it's a, it's a really uh, part of the strategy we need to explain better. Uh, people compare us to others. We don't think that's right because our global market strategy is not to maximize the standalone global market revenue. It's to use global market to power the other division. So what you see this quarter is that revenue is down 8%, but that's because we keep them um, under a strict cap in terms of RWA and in terms of leverage. We could chase revenue, 
and pour much more capital in that activity, and then you would see results more similar to those of our peers. But we have taken a different path, which is to use global market to serve our clients, and actually that's working very well. So that discipline allows us to, we made a profit, mm-hmm. business did 206 million of profit, but it, more importantly, it generated a lot of activity in IWM, International Wealth Management, yeah. and the Swiss Universal Bank, but would not be there without GM. And that kind of hidden contribution of GM is embedded in the outperformance that you see in, yeah. in SUB. SUB had its best quarter since 2013, the Swiss bank. IWM has its best quarter since it was created. IBCM has its best quarter since 2014. So we're now going back in time to 13, 14 to find comparables to the performance we're having now. And that's because all that is working very well together. Tijan TM there, the CEO of Credit Suisse, speaking to Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix. Following earnings and Credit Suisse doing pretty well in a market throughout much of the session, trading over in Switzerland and closing up just over 1% after we saw some gains of close to 3% earlier on. On the year, Credit Suisse looking a little something like this through 2018, just down by 8% at the moment. It's been a tough year for many of the European financials, a victim to what has happened to European growth relative to expectations, perhaps. Elsewhere in the equity market, we closed up on a FTSE, a decent tone to the market with the FTSE 100 up six tenths of 1%. The DAX just treading water, positive by only 0.06. Big rally in the United States, though, raising some of the tech losses with a NASDAQ cut by just over 1%, and the S&P 500 up by 0.78%. Next up on the program, we'll take it here to New York and get you up to speed on what's been happening with technology stocks and preview what is coming up with Apple. From New York for London, you're listening to The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. From New York City, for the city of London, you're listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio. I have no idea why my producer, Charlie, selected such a depressing song to start up the uh, second you half of the You think Let It Be is a depressing I'm song? Like, give me a break. It's pretty downbeat, isn't it? It's not well, giving me that Tuesday afternoon lift going into Federal Reserve decisions, Bank of England decision, Payrolls Friday. It's, con- it's, it's <laughs> contemplative, John. Okay, What's okay, wrong with that? Okay. Um, Charlie Pellet with us to get us up to speed on some top stories. Charlie, please. All right. I thank you very much, Jonathan Farrow. Two people familiar with the efforts say the United States and China are trying to restart talks aimed at averting a full-blown trade war between the world's two largest economies. The people say representatives of the American Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and China's Vice Premier are having private conversations as they look for ways to re-engage in negotiations. The UK was the only group of seven countries to see growth slow in 2017, according to the Office for National Statistics, as most major economies enjoyed a marked pickup in the best year for global growth since 2011. Britain moderated to 1.7% from 1.8% in 2016. Apple reports after the closing bell. Apple investors will be focused on revenue and gross margin forecasts, iPhone sales, and services growth when the company reports fiscal third quarter results in the U.S. this afternoon. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrow, back to you. Charlie Pellet, thank you very much, sir. In just a moment, we're going to have the interview of the day on Bloomberg Radio. We have a stacked panel here in New York. Vincent Signorella, former trader and Bloomberg macro strategist, Bloomberg stocks editor David Wilson, hanging around 
doing not a lot is Bloomberg's Lisa Abramovitz. And the real star of the show, I'm really pleased we finally made this happen right here at 731 Lex. The chief global strategist of the Abramowitz household, Zeke Abramowitz. Zeke, good afternoon to you, mate. Good afternoon. It's great to have you with us on the program. What brings you to the Bloomberg office in New York? Um, Mummy just brought you in? Yeah. Daddy's not around today? He's at a trial. Oh, okay, as you do. Can we get some calls from you? I thought it'd be really interesting just to get you on the show and find out what someone your age is interested in right now. How old are you, Zeke? Nine. Nine. So what would a nine-year-old do if I gave you $100,000? What kind of stocks would a nine-year-old want to buy right now? Um, well, Microsoft is hitting a record high. Yeah. And Apple, they're... Um, being benefited by Fortnite because many people play it. Um, so tell me about Fortnite because it seems to be a big game right now and I don't have a console. I don't play Fortnite. So why is Fortnite such a big deal? Fortnite is a big deal. Um, I don't really know why I don't play it either. You don't play it? Are your friend, <laughs> no. Do your friends at school play it? Yeah. Does mommy not let you play it? No, I, I see you looking at I see you looking at mommy <laughs> and I get the feeling that mommy doesn't let you play Fortnite. I don't want to play. You don't want to play. But a lot of the people at school play. Yes. Is there anything else you're interested in, Zeke, that you think a lot of investors of a certain age, maybe a mum's age, just don't understand and don't get right now? <laughs> um, why it's so popular, maybe? Yeah. Just in general. Just the, the general themes and trends at the moment. Do you think certain people of a certain age, perhaps just over 40? Um, just <laughs> under, under, under 40. <laughs> they, they don't get Zeke. Um, I don't get it either that much. Zeke doesn't get it either. Um, where you shoot people. Do you know what would be really interesting, I think, to do? What? Just to see if the FX strategists out there know what they're talking about. So euro dollar. So this is one euro. And how many dollars does a euro buy me? And at the moment, it buys you 1.17. So a dollar 17. Okay, so I'm going to give you the year-end forecast of most of the strategists on the street. People like Vincent Signorella, where they see euro dollar at the end of the year. So euro dollar at the moment is 117, and they're going to go to FXFC on a terminal, and the year-end forecast, medium forecast, is 118. So just a little tick higher of 117. You get what they do here, Zeke. They look at where the price yeah. is now, and they don't move it a whole lot because they don't want to make a big call. Yes. So they go from 117 to 118. Where does Zeke think that euro dollar is going to end the year? Just have a guess. Vince, no giving him clues. <laughs> what do you think? Is we're going to be higher than 117 or lower than 117? Maybe, I think maybe lower. A little bit lower. You've got to pick a number now. 115, 14, 13. You want to uh, make a big call? What are you looking it, for? Like maybe 115. 115? Big call. So we're going to get Zeke back around Christmas time. Can you come in around Christmas time? Okay. We're going to get you back on the show. We're yeah, going to play you know, out the if clip. If you do that, you're going to have to have Vince on the program to we're give him hand too. signals yeah. for the next Euro <laughs> Dollar we're forecast. Have, we're going to have Vince on too. <laughs> Zeke, can I just say, it's been great to catch up with you. We hear so Thank much you. about you on this program. And typically when mommy's in a good mood, I know you've been good. And when mommy's in a bad mood, I know you've probably not been good because I know you hit your brother a lot as well. And your brother's not with us today, so can we say hello to your brother quickly so he doesn't feel left out? Hi, Ezra. Hi, Ezra. Zeke, it's been great to catch up with you and Thanks. have a wonderful day at Bloomberg and make sure you keep things on the straight and narrow at home, okay? okay. Keep your dad straight and keep your mom in check okay. too. All right, Zeke. Zeke Brambits, everyone. Vince, seriously, it's going to take your job. <laughs>
isn't it? That's not hard to do. That's not hard to do. That's not hard to do. You can have Lisa's job. Oh, there you go. We'll get him anchoring anchoring Bloomberg Radio soon enough. Zika Brambitz, everyone. Thank you very much, Zeke. Dave Wilson with us, too. Uh, We're going to get the view on technology stocks outside of Apple uh, with David Wilson in just a moment. Vincent Signorella. That Euro dollar call, 115. Is that your call? I share the young man's Wait a second, or did Zeke give you the call, Vince? No, I think and Vince we were doing it. It was a simultaneous melding of great minds. Okay. And we both <sighs> saw 115 in our future. 115 right. in our future. Why Why down to 115, just out of interest? I think we will see in the uh, coming months, it's September, October, November, Yeah. Uh, major political headwinds are striking the euro. The Italian situation, I believe, is going to come back. Uh, we'll also see some issues with uh, the Italian budget situation, that whole political give and take. So I think the pressure on the euro um, is going to be a little bit difficult. And I think we're going to see politicians in the U.S. trying to give everything away come November. So that usually lifts the dollar as we go into the midterm election. And in a moment, Dave's going to want to weigh in on tech. Before we get there, just a quick view on the Bank of England before we let you go um, on this particular topic. Cable, sterling, going into Thursday. Um, I think the cable's hitting a really solid 131, the figure trend line. I think it holds because I think we see the BOV, the Bank of England will hike. Yeah. But I, I think this is uh, one and done, not just for this year, but potentially 2019 if a hard Brexit. Uh, Dave, to get your thoughts on equities, um, the Nasdaq getting a really nice bid today. Um, we're recouping some of the losses over the last few days. Any fundamental reasons for that or is it just technical? Well, I mean, you can kind of pick apart even technology stocks and you, you can see that, you know, some of the ones that got hit in the past week, Facebook, Twitter and so on, you know, where they're not getting hit. But if you go through the market, we had a post out on the Markets Live blog earlier today pointing out that if you look at semiconductor stocks, they're actually holding up pretty well. And, you know, you look today, you see Qualcomm going to buy back $10 billion of shares, and that certainly helps things along too. So at the very least, you've got some relief from the drumbeat of bad news that you had last week with Facebook and Twitter coming out with results that disappointed investors. Dave Wilson sticking with me alongside Vincent Signorella. Next up on the program, we'll get you the insight on Apple from the adults in the room. Um, we won't be talking about Fortnite. I imagine we'll be talking about iPhone sold, <laughs> average selling prices and those kind of things. And I wonder whether it's any use compared to just the the response from the kids seems to be so much better you have sometimes. You Charlie's wife in for that one with wow. the Apple iPhone stuff. Wow, this is going to be trouble, isn't it? Did Charlie's <laughs> wife get one? Yeah, the beginning of the year, remember? Did that she get a 10? Whole, I believe so. Did she? I'm surprised Charlie let she her get a 10. Her, she bought it with so her tight. own money, as I recall. He yeah, said I, bet, I bet she did. I bet she did. Uh, guys, it's great to have you with me. From New York for London, you listen to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio, you are listening to Bloomberg Radio. This, of course, is Bloomberg at the close today on a FTSE 100. Positive by six cents of 1%. The DAX up by just 0.06. And across the equity market on the S&P 500, decent gains in the United States. The bleeding stops for tech and it will be helped out big time if Apple can deliver. David Wilson, Bloomberg's very own with me, alongside Vincent Signorella, one of Bloomberg's finest. Um, Dave, your view on Apple and the ASP estimates that I keep seeing is that we could have an average selling price compared to this quarter last year, $100 
Big well, numbers. It stands to reason because the iPhone 10 with its technology was a more expensive model. And, you know, I'm seeing that we're uh, looking at $699 for an average selling price based on the estimates of the analysts we've uh, surveyed. Uh, they're talking 41.6 million iPhones for the quarter. But I'll tell you, the number that really stands out in all of this is a trillion dollars. If you get a really good earnings report out of Apple, and investors start snapping up that stock, we may be looking at what would become the first U.S. company ever to surpass a trillion dollars in market value. Now, it's happened once around the world back in 2007 when PetroChina started trading in Shanghai. It got above a trillion dollars for a day, promptly came back down. It's only worth about a fifth of that now. But Apple has been working its way up, working its way up. It's above $940 billion today after rising about 1%. So you have a fairly realistic chance of getting there. You know, there are a couple of things you have to bear in mind. What do the results look like? And specifically, because market value figures in shares outstanding, yeah. how many fewer shares are there going to be because Apple's been buying back stock. Huge buyback program, Yeah, Dave. absolutely. We asked Zeke what he liked. He said Apple. Um, I think Zeke is probably an indicator that some people might want to listen to. Vince, as we know, has an interesting track record with equities. <laughs> <laughs> so if we could get Vince's view on Apple, and you can deal with it what you will. Well, you know, if the reverse barometer is just as good as somebody who calls them right all the time, you have to say. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, my take on Apple is, is not a strong one, to be honest, but one of the things that I think for all of the technology stocks in this sector, as yeah. you as you price product north of a thousand dollars a pop for a phone and stuff, um, is the services sector growth and the app growth. And you know, we just saw recently the EU hit Google with a five billion dollar fine because they embedded their their search engine yeah. on the Apple phone. I mean, a lot of people criticizing that move because you can just go on your phone and download any particular search engine you like. It's not built in. So that where does Apple go in that? Space? space in that app space to build on services revenue, I think, is is, yeah. is where the future is. I think you've touched on something really yeah. important, Dave. Wayne. The whole question with, with Google is about their competing operating system. You know, that's the thing. I mean, Apple's got its own, Google's got theirs, and, you know, they, they try and do what they do in terms of getting their apps on. So that's obviously an issue in Europe now. Beyond that, it, it's just, uh, what does Apple look like? Does the services business really kind of get Dave, the credit? How do you value it as well? Yeah. Because you're going to have two sides of the business. You're going to have the hardware side of the business dominated by the iPhone, which is now really mature, incredibly profitable business, but the growth levels are going to roll away. And then on the other side of the business, you're going to have this high growth software services business services business full stop shouldn't use the word software um with a high growth figure and if it was a separate company dave i imagine a much bigger multiple than the one that is applied to the overall company which right now is just over 16 times forward earnings and we just go back to the fundamental question with apple that we struggle with all the time what is it how do you value it absolutely and i can't help thinking about apple music and spotify in that context at least you have a publicly traded comparable to look at there now how you uh, apply that valuation to Apple's music business, and it, it becomes an open question. Nonetheless, at least there is some visibility, and you know people will be picking up on that side of the business and all the apps and everything else, as well as what's going on with the iPhones. Dave Wilson, great to have him with us alongside Bloomberg's Vincent Signorella. Next up on the program, we'll run.
run you through what's coming up through the rest of this week. We've had the Bank of Japan decision, the Fed up next, the BOE after that, Payrolls Friday, Tesla earnings, Apple earnings. So much going on this week. We'll get a taste of it next. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. For the City of London from New York City, you are listening to Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable on DAB Digital Radio. At a close today, the FTSE 100 with a better feel to it, up six-tenths of one percent. Firmer across the continent, the S&P 500 up by seven-tenths of one percent. The Nasdaq up by eight-tenths of one percent. Counting it down to a Bank of England decision two days away. Sterling shaping up as follows. Just a little bit softer on the day at 131.27, down by not even a tenth of one percent. The dollar making a late-stage comeback today. What was behind that, Vince? Just quickly. You know, there was a lot of speculation that this had to do with uh, a wind down of the Fed's balance sheet um, and a lot of traders going into the end of the month already short. Yeah. the skew being a short dollar as the stock market goes up, the the uh, portfolio managers have to balance. And what that means is a dollar sell signal in the end of the month. So we always go, go into this thinking the dollar is going to go lower and there's always a short squeeze that grabs people just on the last day as people probably oversold and needed to cover some back. Just a decent explanation. Coming up tomorrow, Fed meeting. <laughs> earnings from Volkswagen, ArcelorMittal, Intesa, Sao Paulo, BNP Paribas, Lloyds Banking, Rio Tinto. I'll be catching up with the CEO tomorrow morning. Don't miss that. Um, it'll be the afternoon UK time. It'll be the morning here in America. New York time, about 8.30. So about 1.30 coming to you in London. Um, on Thursday, Bank of England rate decision. Earnings from BMW, Solgen, Barclays, Rolls-Royce Holdings, Siemens. So much going on. Um, international Intercontinental Exchange, Kellogg and CBS on the US side. Um, Friday, the payrolls report on the European side of things. Earnings from Allianz, Royal Bank of Scotland, Swiss Re, Credit Agricole, Man Group, IAG, Atlantia. So much going on in terms of earnings and central bank decisions. Um, David Wilson, your thoughts on what we've seen from the equity market so far stateside. What's the scorecard look like? Well, it looks like you know, companies are beating analysts' earnings and sales estimates by a, you know, a greater proportion than usual. If you look at the S&P 500, that's certainly been the case. So you know that's a plus. I mean, we have the kind of earnings growth that we saw in the first quarter. Certainly, some of that is tied into uh, the tax cuts from late last year. Uh, beyond that, I mean, companies definitely talking about when they look ahead the potential effect of tariffs on their business and you know trade policy more generally. So you know that becomes a, a headwind going forward. Certainly, something to look at. Uh, what's happening to the currency has also been a concern for a lot of companies. Uh, you know, with, with with the dollar not going their way. So you know, you put that all together, and it does at least raise some doubts about yeah. what the third and fourth quarters look like. And we'll see how things unfold. Two Two parts to that, trade and FX. I want to start with trade. I thought in the eye of the storm would be a company like Caterpillar. Caterpillar raised its guidance for this year. Do you think trade, to some extent, is being used as a scapegoat elsewhere? If a company like Caterpillar can basically escape the claws of the trade story, an industrial company exposed to China, mining, all of these things, agriculture and the crosshairs of this trade tension, if they could still raise guidance, what excuse has everyone else got? Well, I mean, bear in mind that 
Sure, they, they raised their guidance. Now, the question is, how do investors look at that company? Because they came out with earnings and the shares fell 2%, even in the face of that optimism. Let's not forget, earlier this year, they were talking about results being the high watermark. So, you know, there's a real question about what Caterpillar looks like going forward, as opposed to other companies that have been more explicit in talking about how much they're going to have to pay extra yeah. because of the effect of tariffs. Vince, we've used... um the FX excuse many, many times. <laughs> We've talked about it many, many times on this program. It always amuses you. It cracks me up. I mean, every time I see something where a company says, we missed earnings based on foreign exchange, to me, that's an advertisement that they're looking for a foreign exchange manager. Because he, here's what happens with treasurers and, and oftentimes CFOs. There's a trend, so dollars going up. Looks good for me if I'm an international company because I'm buying currency cheaper and bringing it home. The dollar starts to turn. I don't want to hedge because if the trend continues, I look like a fool. So what do they do? They do nothing. And then when it all turns against them, they just push it off and say earnings per share fall. Now, yeah. A quick note on the trade thing is what uh, what you guys were talking about is one thing that really surprised me about how trade is not impacting corporates is we saw a decline in inventories in the last GDP report. Yeah. And if you're expecting tariffs to, to come in and if you're expecting prices to go up, don't you build inventories in anticipation of that so you're ready for it? They didn't do it and inventories declined. So this fear of what tariffs are going to do to international companies just doesn't seem to be sinking in. So the drawdown in inventories, some people have suggested that that was people getting rid of inventory ahead of the tariffs coming through and that the big export boom that we saw accounted to some of that. Are you saying that maybe it also accounted for a pickup in demand that maybe some people didn't expect? Well, I think we saw a pickup in demand from the uh, tax cuts for sure. And that yeah. was that's built into the, to the number absolutely, which is why most people are forecasting GDP to drop back down towards the 2 to 2.5% two annual growth for 2.5% for the rest of the year. But from a, an individual company's standpoint, if you're expecting tariffs and price increases on product and you truly believe the economy is moving along in, in a real positive sense, then you start to build up some of that inventory because you could finance it based on current growth. And yet they let all of that inventory wane and go negative. So that's confused the heck out of me about what people are really seeing. Are they basically saying, we just don't believe the trade wars are actually going to come, so there's just no rush to refund? Well, we had a, de a decent headline come out from our good Bloomberg reporters down in Washington, D.C., that there were talks for talks. Um, reportedly between yeah, the United States I'll, and I'll China. I'll give you one caveat to that. The USTR is actually just going to come out with an announcement potentially today on the $16 billion of tariffs that you we haven't done yet. think that pushes back the talks for talks? Yeah, just a smidge. Because if they come out today or in the immediate future within a day or so and say, We're, we've done our due diligence and here are the tariffs on the next $16 billion, they'll take effect before the end of August. So that sort of... That definitely has to dilute the warm, friendly, talk potential future. Bloomberg's Vincent Signoretta, alongside Bloomberg's Dave Wilson. Great to catch up with you ahead of some key central bank decisions and a ton of earnings as well. I'm looking forward to Tesla. Cameron Kreiss on the program yesterday said that's the one to watch for him. The circus, as he referred to it. I would never do such a thing. Um, we'll be talking about Apple and Tesla, no doubt, over the next couple of days of Fed decision and that Bank of England decision as well. To count you down to all of that, please carry on tuning in to Bloomberg Radio. It's been great to have you with us from New York for the City of London. This is The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio.